Hello, America. Welcome to the Carter Report and thanks for joining us. Our topic today is the continuation of the last international sign before Armageddon. Listen, most preachers are as silent as the tomb when it comes to the threefold message of Revelation chapter 14. That message talks about the mark of the beast and we're going to give you the facts right now. The Carter Report investigates the mysteries of the past as it seeks to interpret amazing predictions concerning our future. John Carter, scholar, writer, and traveler, invites you to join him as he unlocks mankind's most valuable treasure. I noticed one of the, some time ago, some years ago, when one of the American, when one of the Russian astronauts was killed. That was an awful tragedy. Because when they had his funeral, all they did, they stood around with long faces, and I, we all empathized and we sympathized. We saw it on television. And then they shot off these guns. Bang, 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 bang. A 21-gun salute to nowhere. No one to listen, no God, no hope, no everlasting life, no resurrection. I say, my friend, how can we ever be afraid of a godless, atheistic Russian system when we have on our side the God of all eternity? Why be afraid? America's got nothing to be afraid of. The only thing that America ought to be afraid of and the only thing that you ought to be afraid of is if you don't really believe. That's the thing to be afraid of. And the greatest curse in the Western world, and I don't say this to offend you, but it's the truth, the greatest curse in America is the growing paralysis of sectarianism, secularism, humanism, and these things. They're the things to fear. And every great nation, ladies and gentlemen, has not been destroyed by outward foes until she has been destroyed by inward foes. The strength of a nation is in her faith in God. You go and read about the fall of the Roman Empire. You know what happened back there? Immorality. Promiscuity. People say it doesn't matter. Go and read history. Then, of course, there was inflation and all of those things, and the Roman Empire fell. I want to say to you, in this 11th hour, no, in this period of time where the hands of the clock are pointing at one minute to midnight and the clock is ticking with the signs and the omens on the wall you and I ought to be seeking God I want to say to the mothers here to the fathers if we love our kids we will seek to lead them to a knowledge of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Well, that's a little off my subject tonight, but I don't use any notes, and so the problem is I sometimes get on to different subjects. Now, would you come back now to Revelation 14, verse 14 to 16? Then I'm going to show you the last international sign. Revelation 14, verses 14 down to 16. Revelation chapter 14, the apocalypse as it is called. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 down to 16. And I looked, John says, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, having on his head a golden crown, in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, my friend, right in the context of the battle of Armageddon, John, my friend, looks up into heaven, and he sees a white cloud. And then he sees Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming on the white cloud. And as he is watching in spellbound fascination, he hears the cry, the harvest, the harvest, the harvest of the earth is come. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap. The harvest is always used in the Bible as a symbol of the last judgment. It is used, Matthew 13, Jesus said in his own words, the harvest is the end of the world. The harvest, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the world. When I've traveled through the Middle East, and of course the Bible is not an American book. The Bible is not a white man's book. It is not a European book. The Bible, my friend, is a book from the Middle East. Every author of this book, with the possible exception of Luke, every person who wrote this book was a Jew. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. And if you want to understand this book, you go to Palestine. And when you go to Palestine, there you can see the harvest. There is the harvest. And in the harvest, what they do is this. They take the wheat and they throw the wheat up in the air. And the, the heavy wheat falls down here. And the husk falls down here. The husk is blown away in the wind. The harvest is the time of separation. Jesus said, Matthew 13, verse 39, the harvest is the end of the world. Now, let me come to the blackboard. There we see over there the omens and the signs. Let me get, take a piece of chalk. This is our line of time. Jesus here speaks about the harvest. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the great battle of Armageddon takes place just as Jesus comes. Because when Armageddon is going on, the Bible says, Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. 
Jesus comes when the nations are embroiled in Armageddon. Therefore, if Armageddon is near, then Jesus is coming soon. And straight after Armageddon, when Jesus comes, the harvest takes place. That is the separation of the good from the bad. That is the time of great judgment. Do you get that? Now listen. Right before the harvest, right before this judgment, right before the end of the world, Right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, God in His magnificent, splendid, overwhelming, wonderful mercy sends to this world a great threefold message. That great threefold message is the last international sign that this world is going to get. I want you to notice it. Revelation 14, verse 6 and onwards. Revelation 14, verse 6 and onwards. We looked at verse 14, which is the picture of the harvest. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Come down to verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen. Verse 9. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and so forth. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Because I guarantee that most of us have never heard this before. Right before the harvest, right before the battle of Armageddon, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, John looks up into heaven and he sees three angels preaching a distinctive message. And we are going to talk tonight briefly about that distinctive message and some of the pertinent truths they say. Now listen to me. The book of Revelation is a book of symbols. Angels, my friends, angels do not preach. You don't see an angel preaching. But the word angel is the Greek word angelos that means a messenger. These three angels of Revelation chapter 14 are symbolic of a great threefold message that arises in the last days. It is that great threefold message that prepares individuals, men and women, boys and girls, for the coming of Jesus Christ and that saves them from Armageddon and that saves them from the Holocaust, and that prepares them for the harvest. The preaching or the teaching or the proclamation of that great threefold message constitutes, ladies and gentlemen, the last international sign before Armageddon. Now, I say to you, what you're going to hear in a moment is dynamite. So take a big breath. 
This is not what is normally taught in church. But the Bible teaches, not what John Carter says, the Bible teaches it is the proclamation, worldwide proclamation of that distinctive threefold message that gets men and women ready for the harvest and saves them from Armageddon. Now, you can see the importance of understanding that message. Let me go through it with you and lay down a foundation. Revelation 14, verse 6. Let's go through it, step by step. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tribe, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Look at this. The Bible says the first part of that proclamation that prepares the world for Armageddon, or the harvest, or the coming of Jesus Christ, is the teaching of the gospel. Now, what, what does that mean? The word gospel is the Greek word that simply means good news. This book, ladies and gentlemen, is not a book of bad news. This is a book of good news, you see. Join John Carter in person today at 7051 McCart Avenue, Fort Worth, for a vital understanding of the great prophecies of the Scriptures. Participate in the beautiful prayer ministry and receive power to cope and overcome. Experience the warmth of caring people and the joy, peace, and power of worship. Today, Saturday at 1045 a.m., 7051 McCart Avenue, Fort Worth, south of I-20. People, my friend, who call themselves Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world because it is a book of good news. Not like one little boy who asked his mother about a cow that was leaning over the fence. You know, cows have got long faces. He said, Mommy, is that cow a Christian? She said, Why, honey? The little boy said, Because it's got a long face just like Daddy. And Daddy was an elder in the big church. A lot of Christians like that. They think their piety is shown by the length of their face. The Bible says that the gospel is going to get people ready for the harvest. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. Let me spell it out to you. The gospel is the good news that God loves you. The gospel is the good news that you're important to God. The gospel is the good news that God cared so much for you that He gave all of heaven in one gift, the gift of His Son for you. The gospel is the good news is that, is that little baby that was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, born of a peasant girl 2,000 years ago, was more than a good man. He was the God-man. The gospel is the good news that this man who never sinned died for us on the cross. The gospel is the good news that says, whoever believes will not perish but have, ever, have everlasting life. That is the good news, you see. 
back in the days of the American Civil War. A father and son went away to fight. The father was in his 40s. The boy was in his late teens. Poor family. And for some reason, this group of soldiers were charged with mutiny. I've read this, read this years ago. And they said that they were going to put to death one out of every ten of those men. Just as a punishment, as a warning to the rest. The father had nothing to do with the mutiny, nor did the son. But they stood side by side. And those men had to number off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The boy looked down the row and started to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He was nine, and his dad was number ten. And he thought of his mum back home and the little kids. And he grabbed his dad by the shoulders and pushed him aside and shouted 10 and marched off. The gospel is based on the great truth that one, my friend, pushes you aside and stands in your place. That's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, my friend, is unlike any other story in the world. You don't read this story in, in literature. You don't read this story in, in philosophy. It is the story, my friend, of a God who loves his sons and daughters so much that he says, even though they've sinned, I'm going to come down to the battlefield, and he comes down to the battlefield, and he takes our place, and he dies on a cross. Do you know what the message of the cross is? I love you. That's the message of the cross. Never feel that you're important. The cross says, you are not a machine. You are not an animal. You are a son of God, and I love you. That's the message of the cross. That's the gospel. That's what people need to hear. That's what university students need to know. That's what housewives need to know, busy housewives. That's what doctors and philosophers and carpenters and butchers and candlestick makers, that is what we all need to know, that we are loved and we are important. When you walk out here tonight, don't you dare think that you are unimportant. Don't you dare walk out of here tonight and have a bad self-image. You walk out here tonight and put your shoulders back and walk tall and say, Christ died for me, therefore I must be important. You are. Don't you forget it. Don't dare have a bad self-image. Then if you believe that, you won't be putting down somebody else either, will you? You won't be putting down somebody else. You won't be knocking somebody else and trying to climb up over somebody else's body to get into a higher job and kick them down in the dust like a lot of people do because you'll know that that person was died for by Jesus Christ. He's somebody very important too. The difference between communism and Christianity is in this great fact. Communism says you are just a digit. You are just a part of a great system. 
The state is all supreme. Christianity says the state is very secondary to the individual. The individual, as far as God is concerned, is number one. You are number one. Don't forget it. Your kids are number one. Please read on. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. We're living in the judgment hour. God, my friend, is going to judge the nations. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The Bible tells me that we were made by God. I believe that God made the universe. I do not believe the universe simply happened. I do not believe that the earth simply happened or that we are a cosmic accident. The Bible says, God says, I made you. And because I made you, you are important. And because I made you, I have redeemed you. You see? All ties in together. And unless you believe this, you are going to be not even a second-rate citizen. You are going to be a tenth-rate person. But if you believe that God made you and that Christ redeemed you, then, my friend, you are going to walk with a spring in your step and the sky is going to be bright over your head and you're going to be glad. You get it? Yeah, that's good. If you, think it, if you believe that, say yes. Oh, that's good. Good. I'm going to go for another three hours on that. Now, verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So, the first part talks about the proclamation of the gospel. Most of us believe that. Most of us in the Christian world understand that somewhat anyhow. But the second point says, Beware of Babylon the mighty. And when it talks about Babylon the mighty, it is not talking about the old city of Babylon which is gone and buried and forgotten. Listen. There is not one person in a hundred who goes to church who understands that. Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation. It is a part of the Antichrist system. It is a great spiritual system that has come down to our own day and which is deceiving millions of people in Christendom, including millions in America. The purpose of these lectures is to point out the truth on the gospel, the judgment. That's the message of the first angel. The message of the second angel is Babylon. Watch out for Babylon. Now you need to know that. Now please read on. Verse 9. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone, well that's me, that's you. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented and so forth. It's, it's an awful warning. 
Then it says, verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. It gets stronger and stronger. It's the worst warning in the Bible. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Listen. The most dreadful warning in all the Scriptures is given to those people like you and me living in the last days. It is the warning against the beast. The beast. The image of the beast and the beast is here in the world and in America. The beast. And then it talks about the mark of the beast. And people will say, nobody understands that. Well, obviously they don't when they say that. But I want to tell you, my Christian friend, that the last great message that goes to the world to prepare people for the battle of Armageddon to save them from the Holocaust and to get them ready for the harvest and the second coming of Jesus Christ is, is about the gospel, a warning against Babylon, but a tremendous warning against the beast, the image of the beast and the mark of the beast. And let me level with you now. The purpose of these meetings from henceforth will be to build upon that platform and to talk about the gospel and to tell you exactly who the beast is. We start on that on Monday night and then we are going to show you from Bible prophecy what the mark of the beast is and the image of the beast and the image of the beast is being set up in America tonight I'll show it to you now listen you'll say to me but John Carter you don't hear this every weekend in church you're dead right. I want to say this to you. Listen, we are not dealing with matters of small consequence. We have come to the very heart. I want to say this to you, my friend. God has not put that message in His book because He is playing tiddlywinks. God has put that message there because you need to know it, I need to know it, and what is more, I need to act upon it.